You are listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. For more information on RSN, visit us online at therenovation.church. talking about prophets, we were talking about kings and judges, and all these different people, right? And we kind of came to the conclusion that man, humanity, was made for relationship because we're made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. And God has been in this everlasting relationship of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always in relationship. And us being in the image of God, we're made for relationships as well. And we saw in the beginning things were good, right? Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. They were able to walk with God, and then sin happened. And what happened after sin? Sin separated us from God. And throughout the entire Old Testament story, we read about how because of this separation from God, Man was constantly trying to find the fulfillment of what relationship and communion with him is supposed to be. And so God gave man laws to try and and maybe they could figure it out and nobody could fulfill it. Because 613 is a big number. Nobody could fulfill that. And, And we see that man tried to do it on their own and chasing power or chasing fame or chasing pleasure. And none of that worked. We saw that there was this ruthless path of destruction throughout the entire Old Testament of deaths and and of evil and of destruction. And we've kind of finished off talking about the prophets, talking about Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah, three prophets who declared the word of the Lord to the people of Israel. And they talked about how ultimately, yes, we are a wicked and disobedient people. And that comes from the heart More than behavior modification, there has to be some sort of heart change because this sin is so deeply ingrained in us that without a radical, transformed new heart, nothing new can happen. And then Isaiah spoke of this Messiah figure, this man who was eventually going to come and suffer as a servant, but die as a ransom for many. And today, tonight, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about his life, what he did. And so after the end of the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence where God did not speak to his people. We don't have that period in the Bible, right? But we pick up in the New Testament, and it kind of starts with this story of this man named Jesus, And as you guys know, he had this miraculous birth where he was born to the Virgin Mary and he had his stepdad, Joseph, right? And he lives this life and up until he's about 30 years old, his life is pretty low key. We don't hear a lot about him. We do hear that he is pretty well acquainted with the scriptures in the Old Testament in a brief kind of talking about him when he goes to the temple with his family. But outside of that, we don't know much We know that his dad was a carpenter, and more than likely Jesus did some carpentry with his dad. And then at age 30, he kicks off into this life of ministry, and he does this for three years. And what we know about Jesus is that he's not from some special bloodline, which 
if he's going to be a king, that's a little bit weird. You're supposed to be from royal blood, right? He's just from Mary and Joseph. We know that there's not necessarily anything about him. We also know that even his appearance was not that great. If you don't believe me, read Isaiah 53 again. So that's what we know about Jesus. And when he comes onto the scene at 30, he begins this ministry and he radically starts to turn over some of the things that the people of Israel thought about religion and thought about relationship with God. He talked about how following God is so much more than just a religion and doing a bunch of rituals the right way. It was actually about a relationship because that's what we're trying to get back to. The same thing we saw with Adam and Eve is what we're trying to get back to, walking with God unhindered. He talked about how love is so much greater than all the people thought because love ignores race. Love ignores social class. Love ignores the fact that to the people of Israel, lepers were supposed to be cast out from society and and Jesus actually healed lepers. Love ignores the fact that the woman who had an issue of bleeding for 10 years goes and touches his robe and Jesus turns and heals her and commends her for her faith. Love ignores the fact that although this person may not look the same as me, they may not act the same as me, I'm still going to choose to be there for them. And that's what we see, is that Jesus in his life fulfilled every single Old Testament law and summed them up into this, that you are to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater picture of love than Jesus. And one day he begins to talk about how he's going to die on behalf of us. Matthew 20, 28 says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus talks about, you know, one day he's gonna die and and he's gonna leave, but he's not gonna leave for forever. And, And then he talks about this weird passage about when he does die and then he goes to heaven, this other thing called the Holy Spirit is gonna come and it's actually better than Jesus. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit more tomorrow night. And that's where I want us to really focus tonight is in that dying part. So where we're gonna be reading tonight is Luke chapter 23. We're gonna be reading verses 32 through 43. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Luke is the one, two, three, third verse, the third chapter, oh, third book in the, in the New Testament. That's a net good goal. First chapter, we're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what's happening. We're gonna get there eventually. Third book in the New Testament, the 23rd chapter, I'll give you guys a minute to flip. I will be reading out of the NLT version for this. And this is what it says. It says, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, him referring to Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. 
And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called out to him, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. And a sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, the English word excruciating, okay? So like you're in excruciating pain. Think about if you were to break your leg or, or break your femur. If you were to have some sort of limb cut off. Childbirth. Do you know what that word comes from? It comes from the Greek or the Roman word meaning out of the cross. You think of the worst pain that you could ever experience. The cross has got it beat. And you see, Romans had actually worked to perfect the cross. They had worked to perfect the, method, the, the method of shame and humiliation, the method of torture that they would put these people through. Because not only did Jesus claim to be king, he also claimed to be a king outside of Rome. And so the Roman people couldn't deal with that. And so what did they do? They sentenced him to die through crucifixion on a cross. And do you know what the Old Testament says? It says, cursed is the man who dies on a cross. So we know that the cross was extremely painful. We know that the cross was a horrible thing. In amidst having just been beaten to the point of, of losing enough blood to die potentially. Do you see, I told you the Romans had perfected the method of crucifying people, right? Before they would crucify people, they would scourge them. They would whip them. They would whip them to the point where they are teetering on the line of dying from blood loss. Okay? And for a while, the Romans would then let the people who they were about to crucify carry their own crossbeam up to be crucified. And after a little bit, when we see this in the story of Jesus, this man named Simon of Cyrene actually carries Jesus' cross. The Romans had too many people dying while they were carrying the cross. They didn't get to the final final where they could actually hang them up on this thing. And so what did the Romans do? They started enlisting these random people to start carrying the cross. And so Jesus is, is beaten to the point of, of teetering on the line of death. He starts to carry his cross, and I bet you the Romans are like, oh, he's going to die. Let's get somebody else to do it because we want to make this worse. And so they get somebody else to do it, and he walks it up the hill. And then they get to the hill. They put the cross on the beam. And do you know what they do? They nail into Jesus' wrist. 
They nail into him. What we know about crucifixion is that the nails were five to seven inches long. And I don't think they worried about if the nails were sharp or not. Five to seven inches. And I want you to look at your wrist. I want you to feel your wrist for a minute right here. There's a whole lot of nerves in there, isn't there? There's a whole lot of bones in there, isn't there? I want you to recognize that in their nailing of Jesus to the cross, they severed all of those things. They cut through all of those things. He's already beaten to the point of he's probably about to die from losing blood. And then they nail right through his hands. And what do we know? We know that their hands would literally spasm and try and like do like this and he could not control it and it was excruciatingly painful. And then what did they do? They nailed into Jesus' feet. Do you know how many bones you have in your foot? A whole lot. So many bones. And they hung him up on a cross. And how did death happen on the cross? It was this mixture of not being able to breathe, having to gasp for, for air. You had to lift yourself up in order to get air. But you also have to remember that you've got nails in you. So when you're lifting yourself up, you're actually fighting against the nail that was put through you. We also know that there was so much blood loss that there was a potential to drown in your own blood. And we know that this process was a slow process because, again, the Romans had perfected it. They were going to shame the person that says that they're greater than Rome. And one thing that we haven't talked about yet is all this was done to Jesus and on his bloody and beaten body as he's hung on a cross, what we know about crucifixion is more than likely there was lots and lots of bugs that would crawl into your open wounds. And I understand this is graphic, but I think you need to remember what Jesus did for you. And Jesus couldn't do anything about it because his hands were nailed. Jesus couldn't do anything about it because his feet were nailed. And in the midst of all that, in the midst of soldiers actually bartering for his clothes, in the midst of them calling him king of the Jews, you're not this real king, you, you need to save yourself. You've saved everybody else, come save yourself. In the midst of the thief that deserves to die saying, what are you doing? Save yourself. You're the Messiah, aren't you? Another thief comes to his senses and recognizes that this man has done nothing wrong. And Jesus, as this man comes to his senses and asks Jesus to remember him, remembers him. Have you ever had somebody annoy you and then somebody comes up to you asking for you to do a favor and you just snap on them? Have you ever been outside and it's hot and gnats are flying all around you and somebody go to talk to you and you got a gnat in your eye and you just snap? Have you ever been a little bit frustrated because you get, you've got a bunch going on and you're stressed out and somebody comes and asks a favor for you? You just, you just lose it on them, right? You see, Jesus was in excruciating pain. 
Jesus was to the point of death and he would die on the cross. Jesus was being mocked and ridiculed and called things that he wasn't. And as soon as this man comes to his senses, what is Jesus' first thing to do? Forgive him. And yes, I will remember you. Today you will be with me in paradise. I remember when my grandma passed away um, earlier this year. We were over at my grandpa's house and they had been married for over 50 years. He had lost the love of his life. And I remember that we were there and one of the pastors from renovation was coming by. We were hanging out with him. We were trying to console him. It was like the day after. The funeral hadn't happened yet. And he comes by and brings us a meal. And, he, and he's like, well, well, Tony, that's my grandpa's name. He's like, can I pray for you and your family? And Tony's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and he prays for him. And then he goes, how can I pray for you? And he, on the spot, prayed for that man. in the midst of going through all the emotional ups and downs, feeling like his heart was beaten in because he lost the love of his life suddenly, said, you know what? What can I do for you? How can I care for you? And I think that's the tiniest, tiniest little example of what Jesus did. The tiniest little example. You realize Jesus was dying and he forgave. Jesus was dying and he forgave a thief that deserved to be on that cross. And this is what I think happens. I think we are far too casual with the cross. We are far too casual with it. You know what? The cross is good enough for everybody else, but Jesus needs another cross for my sin. Do you know how blasphemous that is? We constantly hang our heads in shame and in guilt and in regret. And you do need to realize that there's freedom in the name of Jesus. Jesus died for that. And this is what I need you to recognize. It's in Isaiah chapter 53. It said, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. You realize it delighted your God to die for you? You realize it delighted Jesus to die for us? How can we be so casual as to not respond to the gospel? How can we? Jesus gave of himself for you and for you and for you and every single person in this room. And it delighted him to be able to die for you. So when we talked about being desperate for Jesus last night, I want you to recognize that Jesus wants you to be desperate for him. It's not like some nagging little sibling who comes up to you and constantly wants to plays and you're annoyed by him. And so you push him to the side. You realize that every single time that you run to your king, he opens his arms and loves you. You realize that every single time you seek him, you will find him. He says, knock and the door will be open. He says, not only knock and the door will be open, but come to me with your burdens. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Psalms 1 talks about how blessed is the person who meditates on the, on the words of the Lord and the words of the scripture. 
And as people, we so often live a life believing that Jesus died. but living like he didn't die for me. My sin's too big. This thing that I'm going to, it's just too big. Or maybe it's the opposite. Jesus wouldn't care about that. Jesus doesn't see that. And that's not the gospel. It's not. And so we talked about how there was a plan from the get-go. The cross was intentional. And not only was the cross intentional, it delighted Jesus. He was satisfied in the sacrifice that he made. And so his job is done. Victory is already sealed from now until forevermore. Jesus died on the cross Our job is to come. Our job is to recognize that he is Lord. Is to recognize that he is Savior. Is to recognize that without him, we will forever be separated. And so this is the things that that I'm kind of thinking through and, and have just been weighing so heavy on my heart throughout today. In the, in the prayer that I've had, it's that if the cross is not personal to you right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in your heart to make it personal. Because I'm sorry, you can't ride on your parents' coattails and, and, and be a follower of Jesus. I'm sorry, you can't ride on my coattails or another small group leader's coattails. You can't say that you go to church and not actually surrender to Jesus and be a follower of Jesus. You can't do all the right things and say all the right things and have a perfect track record and your family has always been in the church and you you not be surrendered. I'm sorry, you're not a follower of Jesus. And so for some of you guys, I've been praying that tonight would be the night that you give it over. And recognize that it was God's will to crush Jesus for you. And Jesus is satisfied in the life that it brings. Read Isaiah 53. That's what it says. So for some of you guys, what I think is as we we talk through tonight, it may be that, hey, I have actually never, ever, ever done what Romans 10 says. I have never believed in my heart and confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to do that tonight. For some other of you guys, it may be, you know what, I have done that. The next step that we are told to do is to be baptized, to publicly declare that I identify that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. And as I go into this water, I am saying that, you know what, my old self is staying in the water. And as I come out of this water, the new self is here. For some of you guys, it may be that The last time you dwelt on the cross was winter retreat. The last time we really talked about the cross and honed in on it. 
And so for some of you guys tonight, you actually need to spend some time thinking on the cross. Maybe your heart has become hardened and callous toward God because you think that he is against you or he doesn't care about you. And I'm here to tell you that if he did nothing else in your life, he's already done enough. Look at the cross. Followers of Jesus are not an entitled people. They're a grateful people. For some of you guys, you need to hear the message of the gospel. You need to hear about the cross, and you need to go apologize to somebody. For some of you guys, you need to hear the message of the gospel, hear the message of, cross, of, of the cross, and you need to actually respond in worship. Like, you need to actually respond. Because here's the thing, I get so sick and tired of people who will lose their ever-loving mind when they beat a video game and then tell me that I can't respond to the gospel in worship because I'm just not like that. I'm sorry. But you know what you do when you get great news? You respond. And so that may look like you actually surrender for the first time in worship and you open your hands. It may look like that you raise them. It may look like that you are so overwhelmed by the goodness and faithfulness of your God that you can't help but to weep. This is what I wanna tell you. Followers of Jesus are surrendered people. And if you hear the gospel, our reasonable response is to respond. It may be that you need to repent. We talked about this last night. I'm not talking about rededicate. I'm not talking about get rebaptized, because I think we have gotten that wrong as a church. And by we as a church, I mean the churches in general, the big C church, because we're people and we mess up. But what we need to do is repent, and that means to turn. We said this last night. Repenting is going in this direction, realizing it's the wrong direction, and making a turn. You need to recognize that the grace of Jesus covers your sin. But you know what Paul says? He says, are we to keep on sinning so that grace may abound? He says, by no means. So you need to recognize and, and deal with the conviction that is within you from God. Hey, this is the wrong thing to do. And you need to turn from it. And this is what I want you guys to recognize. Another thing that I've been praying for in this night is that we would be able to repent, we would be able to turn, we also would have the boldness to be able to confess to one another. Because one of the signs of, of a healthy community, a healthy church, people of God, is being able to confess and to be able to walk through with one another. If we were made for relationship, we were made for relationship this way, upwards, but also outwards. We are not meant to do life alone. So this is what I want from you guys right now. This is what I want us to do. I want us to actually just take a minute. We're gonna sit. And I want us to respond to the gospel. In the word gospel, it means good news. In the Greek, it means good announcement. And what's so confusion or confusing about the gospel is why would the death in an excruciating way of the only, only, only innocent person to ever walk the earth be good? Why? 
because it was God's plan to reconcile, meaning bring us back to relationship with him. Because all of us have fallen short. Every single one of us in this room, it was your sins that made Jesus have that excruciating death. Your little white lie. You're sleeping around. You're looking at things that were not okay. You're choosing to harbor bitterness towards another person. You're choosing to be deceitful to your parents. You're choosing to cheat. You're choosing to steal. You're whatever, you name it. That's what put Jesus on the cross. But you know what? As bad as that is, the victory found in Jesus is so good that it's good news. Because our sins put him there, but it satisfied him to die for you. What you did put him there, but while we were dead in sin, Jesus died for us. So let's take a minute, each and every single one of you, I want you to bow your heads and I just want you to respond personally to God. And I'm gonna ask you guys some questions to, to help you keep responding. But let's first do that. small groups and, and we do some worship, I want you to keep responding. But I do want to ask some questions because I want to be really practical about this. And the first question I want to ask is, you know, maybe you heard the message tonight and then you hear that the gospel is something you respond to. You say, Gabe, I've never responded to the gospel before. And what I mean by that is you say, Gabe, I have never done what Romans 10, 9 says and believed in my heart that Jesus is Lord and confessed it with my mouth. I want you to, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So if that's you, if you are one of those people in the room with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I've never believed in my heart and confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. 
think there's also other next steps that we are to take. For some of you, it's that I've heard and responded to the gospel. But I've never moved in a next step of baptism, this public declaration of, of Jesus is Lord of my life. And so if you are challenged and convicted tonight to take that step and to be baptized, I want you to raise your hand. That's awesome. And you guys can put your hands down. I think there's more questions to ask. If there is some sort of sin issue in your life that you need to repent of, meaning you need to turn, and you need to confess that to your neighbors, you need to give it to God, I want you to raise your hand. You guys can put your hands down. I want you guys to, to hold true to that, and I want you to actually talk to your small groups about it tonight. to do is, is the band's going to play we're going to worship I just want to continue to give you guys an opportunity to respond and so feel free if, if you want to stay seated or, or you want to stand or, or you want to um, if you need to kneel before the Lord I want to give you an opportunity to do that so we're going to sing but again I want you to do whatever it is that you need to do in order to be obedient. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Student Ministry Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.